The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where through thick and thin, through all the market cycles, we're striving to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And speaking of market cycles... Why is everybody so freaked out? Like cycles are just like we don't we don't get to not have cycles. Like, you know, we have winter and then spring comes and then summer and then fall and there's some parts of that we might like better than others, but we don't get to say what they are and we just we keep living our lives. Why is it any different with real estate market cycles? That's we're gonna talk over the next couple of weeks about the 2024 market. And um, this week, we're starting out by talking about how to deal with the emotional reaction you might be having to um, the fact that the market is like it is. And then next week, we'll talk about how it is. I wanted to do it in that order. I didn't want to bring Rick Sharga on to tell you what the stats say before you got to hear from Tom Barry about what to do no matter what the stats say. Um, Tom is joining us from uh, his home in Texas. He is the founder of, I think he's probably best known uh, as the founder of Investor Loan Source, which is a, a lending company that specializes in lending to um, real estate investors. And he also is a real estate investor himself who has quite a story about his journey. He's again joining us by phone. Tom, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thanks for having me on, Vienna. Um, I'm glad you could make the time today because as we talked about on the phone, <laughs> I think it's important that people get a little perspective on, uh, you know, what what to do when things are are getting different in the real estate market because they're always getting different. There are there's That's right. there's never a moment in time <laughs> when like everything is completely balanced, right? There's just enough deals, there's just enough buyers for those deals. There's just enough rent to cover the mortgage payments at the interest rate that the banks are asking and still make a reasonable return on your investment that that day. I don't know. I've never seen it in 30 years. So um, let's let's start with a little bit about your story so that people understand why <laughs> why you have the experience to actually talk about this. OK, so I guess uh, my story starts back in 2000. 
2004, uh, I started investing in real estate. You know, uh, before that, I'd have one rental here, one rental here throughout my life as I moved through corporate America. But really, in 2004, we started flipping homes in Ohio. Uh, that's where we lived at the time. And, um, you know, we did about six or eight homes and had mixed success. We didn't have any education. We didn't, we didn't know what we were doing. We were going to the courthouse steps, buying houses and hoping for the best. Uh, and miraculously, most of those turned out real well. Um, then fast forward a few years, we moved to Texas and we really focused on, uh, our core company. Um, and I lost everything in 2007. So, you know, we, we were in financial services and, um, everybody knows that story in late 2007. Uh, we closed the doors, didn't have any income, didn't have any money, didn't have, uh, any credit by that point either. And, uh, so we started, you know, I said, you know, I loved real estate when I was doing it part time. I'm just going to jump in and do it full time. And that's what we did. We, we started wholesaling and, you know, within that first year, we made about a hundred grand in wholesale fees and accumulated seven rental properties for ourselves. And by the end of the third year, we had 38 units. And by the end of the fourth year, we had over 300 units. By the end of the fifth year, we had 426. And that's where we peaked out uh, with houses and apartments. And uh, then we started selling those off and started our lending company. And you know, we've moved into other asset classes as um, as the market allowed and as the cycles allowed. And I'm sure that's what you're going to want to talk about here uh, next. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about uh, this this idea of going with the cycles or better yet, being somewhat ahead of them, because what 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 folks the the term people use a lot is timing the market right, right? and you hear right. people discussing well you know has the market topped out because if it has i want to sell now i want to sell my single family homes now and then i'm going to keep my powder dry right take all that cash and put it in the bank because the next thing that happens after the market tops out is it crashes and then i'm going to buy up three times as many houses with the money that I made buying at the bottom the last time and then, you know, selling at the top. And my, my experience is actually a, nobody can, can do that properly. Like none of us have that, Correct. that crystal ball. I know some people who sold off all their properties in 2018 because they thought it was the top of the market. Right. Right. <laughs> and also, you know, it's, it's, it's just a losing strategy all around, right? Cause how do you know when it's bottomed out? How do you deal with the taxes that you paid for selling all your stuff at the top of the market, which is something else we're going to cover. That is different than what you're talking about. Yeah, it, it is. So I, you know, I, I don't think as you've pointed out correctly, that anybody is going to be able to time the exact top or the exact bottom of the market. The other, the other thing, you know, even if you were able to do that and you said, okay, today is the top of whatever asset class we're talking about. Let's say single family. Today is the top. By the time you got everything in place to start dumping your portfolio and you actually got it dumped, you're not selling at the top anymore. You're six months, eight months out from the top. You're already on the back side of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, real estate, we can't move on a dime. You know, we can't pivot, you know, like we're in a rowboat. It's mm -hmm. more like 
a cruise ship. It takes a while to to get things spun up to buy or spun up to unwind and, and sell. Mm-hmm. So timing is definitely not a good strategy. Mm-hmm. What I like to do is just build a buy box. And my buy box says, if I can buy this particular type of property, this particular type of asset, at this particular price or better, I'm going to buy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter what point in the market I'm in. If it fits that description, I'm going to buy. Mm-hmm. Now, at some point, the market is going to leave my box. Mm-hmm. In other words, the market is going to get so hot or so great that I can't find deals that fit my buy box anymore. So I just quit buying. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I quit buying. It's that the market left my buy box, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, no, it makes now, it makes perfect sense. Now, what I see a lot of less experienced investors do is they'll set that buy box when you know when it's a good time to buy and then start buying and then as the market starts heating up they change their buy box they continually pay more and more and more for that same asset until it bites them in the backside and now they've overpaid on some assets and and they're upside down so the the trick is when you set your box you don't change it when the market changes. You just stop buying that asset. And at that point, actually before that point, you start looking around saying, what do I think the next opportunity is going to be? And you start creating your box for it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you're creating that box early enough that you can't find anything that fits it. <laughs> but as things deteriorate, eventually the market will get down into that box and you'll start buying. Hmm. All right, Tom. We're going to take a quick break. Um, I want to talk. I want to talk more in depth about sort of what, you know what that buy box should look like. Uh, what people who have already found that the market has left their buy box should be doing. But I also want to invite listeners to ask questions. We have a phone number where they can call during the here during the show eight seven seven. Seven seven two nine six five eight. Again, I'll say that again because there's a lot of sevens. Eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. Or you can just send an email to askvina at gmail dot com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host Vina Jones. Scott's talking today to Tom Barry, who is. Um, He's going to sort of describe his approach to market cycles and hopefully help you and everyone else to uh, understand what the right thing to do in those times when you're sitting on your hands going, there's no good deals. I'm going to have to let my crew go. I'm going to have to put my cash into a bank account at 4%. This is, this is just terrible. Um, and Tom, that's what a lot of people are doing right now. They they just literally are saying, quote, there are no deals. And some of them are very experienced people. Yeah. You know, I, I, I understand. I hear it myself when I'm talking to real estate investors, you know, the, the, the day you described earlier of there being perfect harmony between supply and demand and buyers and sellers and, you know, and everything that's not where you make money in real estate or in really any commodity if you study it. There, the opportunity 
is during disruption. And right now, there is disruption. And if there are a lot of your competitors, they're sitting on the sidelines, sitting on their hands, sitting on their capital. To me, that just excites me because that's less people out in the field you know, bidding against me for deals. So <laughs> it's sad. <laughs> and I'll still preach it from the rooftops that they shouldn't be. But at the end of the day, if they decide to, well, it is what it is. And that's just more for us. And, uh, um, but I know that disruption creates opportunity. And this type of market where things are uncertain, that excites me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And some of the, some of the opportunities that, markets like this create unfortunately are from people making bad decisions right now sure in six months or a year (laughs) those bad decisions are going to become opportunities for the rest of us uh just as happened in that 2007-89 uh time frame i i I can tell you 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 said uh you said don't 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 move your buy box right if you know what you're looking for don't say, well, I can't find anything like that. So I'll take something that's not as good as that. Um, I can tell you that I, I pretty much regretted every buy and hold property I bought between 2004 and 2006. Sure. (laughs) I'll bet because you had to pay more than you wish you had for those properties. Exactly. And let's, let's, let's talk a little, little bit more about that idea of the buy box because I don't want, I don't want people to think necessarily that that is, uh, purely about price i hear people, no it is not i, I hear no. people all the, all the time say it's ridiculous that they're asking that prop that price for that property in that neighborhood and then it sells for that price so you know it was actually the right price to add to ask because from the seller's perspective a ready willing and able buyer showed up and paid that price for for right. us as real estate investors, it's generally not so much about price as it is about something like return or cash flow. Right, right. So, you know, a buy box to me is something that needs to be very specific. It needs to be very detailed and it also needs to be written down. So, you know, when a broker or a wholesaler, you know, contacts me Uh, And they say, hey, what are you buying right now? I can say, you know what? Text me your email. I'll just email it to you. And it's written out on our letterhead. It's very descriptive and and it's very detailed. So I can send them that buy box. We call it the buy criteria for them. But internally, we call it the box. And and they know, okay, (laughs) I have a property that fits all of Tom's requirements. I'm going to send it to him. Or, you know, if it's 90% of his requirements, I'm going to send it to him and hope. But if it only fits a couple of them, they know that that's not even, you know, don't bother. Don't send it to me. Mm -hmm. So it has to be very descriptive. And, of course, price is going to be at the top of that list. Um, Geography is going to be in that list. You know, where will I buy? Mm -hmm. And then a description of the property type. You hear property investors all the time say, oh, I'll buy anything. Well, (laughs) In as my a, mind, you probably don't buy much. As long as, <laughs> as, long as it's anything, a good not, deal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're not going to be in this business very long because nobody can excel at everything, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a time when we first started in this business that my wife and I only bought single-family homes in Galveston County, Texas. That was our buy box. You know, and we had pricing and, you know, and so forth in there as well. Then we move to now we buy apartment complexes of five units to 100 units, 
in Galveston County and Harris County, Texas. And that was our box for about another five years or so. Now our box is much different. Now we buy shopping centers in 28 states, but of a very particular size, a very particular price per square foot, a very particular cap rate, um, vehicles per day, traffic count, all of those things are on the buy box. Mm-hmm. So the box is going to change as your asset class that you are that you're chasing changes. But nonetheless, each time we change asset classes, I sit down and write that buy box because I got to know what I'm hunting for. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the the issue within the single family home world and even the small multifamily, two and three unit type properties is that the combination of higher interest rates at the bank and low inventory leading to no drop in prices. So prices are, you know, they went way up and but really started yeah. about 2016, but you know, everybody focuses on that 2020, 2021, 2022 timeframe means that a house that you could have bought maybe five years ago and gotten a 12% true return, you know, net net return on your investment if you were to pay the current price and the current interest rates, it would literally negatively cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. it, which means it's better just not to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just better not to buy that particular asset. Or, or to, I mean, to, one of the, one of the solutions to these issues is always get more education, right? Cause I bought, I bought all kinds of single family homes last year. I didn't go to the bank. I didn't put 20% down. I didn't pay 8% investor interest rates. I bought them subject to the existing loan or I lease optioned them from the buyer or from the seller or I did something like that. So sometimes the solution is go find another asset class. But if you, if you really love the one you're in, the probable immediate solution is go find out what people who are still buying and getting the returns you want are doing to buy and get the returns you want. Oh, that's that's another thing. I haven't bought an on-market property since 2016. Right. All of the properties that well, I buy are off-market <laughs> properties. Um, right. Because, yes, that, that once a property goes into MLS, somebody is going to pay a price for it that, that just in no way <laughs> would... Uh, work for my business model, right? And right. the mistake I right. did, I made in that oh four oh five oh six time frame was going. Well, there's just nothing else to buy. What am I going to do with this cash? What I'm going to do with the contractors? What I'm going to right? And and yeah. th- and that was why I ended up regretting this. I also bought some properties that were there was a particular area that I prefer that has a great school system and as a, a kind of a working class, you know. Uh, area that about 50% renters, 50% homeowners. And I started going, well, if I can't find a deal there, let's see what's in the C and D class neighborhoods. <laughs> and I bought some of those. And um, yeah, it's uh, what I should have done was ramp up my creative buying and off-market buying skills at that time. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate, uh, talking to Tom Barry about market cycles and we are inviting your questions comments etc about the market at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com 
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Sabina Jones-Cox. want to, <clears throat> to remind everybody that Cincinnati RIA is hosting a How to Create Your Personal Vision and use that as the basis to actually decide what your business vision is going to look like. Uh, that is this upcoming Saturday, and it is online, so you shouldn't have any problem attending it wherever you might be listening from. That is uh, being moderated by Dave Peters, who is a real estate investor who has made really good use of this idea of putting vision first. He was actually able to uh, quit his job and have a portfolio of rentals that gave him ender income within just a few years after the time that he sat down and created his vision and decided to live by that instead of by what everybody else was telling him he should do in the real estate business. CincinnatiRia.com is the place to go to sign up for that and get more information. Uh, while you're there, check out January 24th. On January 24th uh, is the Summit Investors Help Night which is a meeting that is free to any serious investor anywhere in the country who is interested in coming to either help or be helped. That's going to be a once a month meeting uh, again online. And it is uh, the topic this month. It's always going to be topic based. There's never going to be like a, there's a lecture, there's slides, all of that sort of stuff. It's always just going to be investors who know stuff there to answer questions for investors who might know less stuff. And the topic this month is get help getting started. Again, this that's on the Cincinnati RIA calendar, January 24th. Go to CincinnatiRIA.com uh, to grab your link for that. Uh, so, Tom, um, you're, you've done an awful lot of different stuff in what, 15 years? I mean, you, the, the, you rebuilt starting in 2007. You did single-family homes. They needed apartments. Now you like shopping centers. I think there was something else maybe in between the apartments and the sh- shopping centers. <laughs> yeah, there have been a few others in there, yes. <laughs> yes. But understand, yes, we have done uh, a lot of different markets, or excuse me, a lot of different asset classes. But you really, you got to understand, it wasn't all at the same time. We, we really, we have a focus on what we are doing at the time. And when I see that running out, I start looking for what my next is going to be. And I start studying that. I never pull the trigger and buy a new asset until I've studied it for at least 12 months. And you know, those are just rules that we live by. Um, so while, yes, we have moved from asset class to asset class, there have been a lot of study before we did. And when we're doing that asset, we are all in on it, and that's all we do at that moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So your your decisions on which asset class you're going to look at next are not just, they're not random. It's not what you read in the Wall Street Journal. It's not, you're, you're, you're actually taking a good, long, hard look at these things before you jump in on them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am a statistics nerd. So I'm constantly looking at what what's going to be next. You know, right now we're very bullish on shopping centers. We love that asset class um, and I'm all in on it probably for the next two years. 
But uh, in you know a year or so, I'm going to start looking around and going, what's next? And understand there might be a good deal on something. And I'll give you an example. Like right now, there, if you wanted a good deal on office buildings, you could buy them from coast to coast for nothing. Mm-hmm. But we've passed on that. We 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 do own one in Houston in the Energy Corridor, but we after having that one, we're like, yeah, that's not for us. That's not what we're going to do. Right now, we that particular class is so beat up, and we don't think it's at the bottom yet. Mm-hmm. So there's there's still a lot further that one can fall. Uh, another one we passed on a couple of years ago. There was a really really good deal, as many as you wanted to buy coast to coast on hotels and motels, and I'm talking about name brands that we've all stayed in many a time. You know, hundred key to 150 key, beautiful properties, less than 20 years old. You could have bought them at a 15 cap all day long, all day long. It was just an opportunity of a lifetime. But we passed on that as well because we didn't want to be in the hotel motel business. That is real estate with a business kind of attached to it. It, it's, It's both. It's a real estate, but it's a business. And the management intensity of that was just more than, quite honestly, I wanted to do at this point in my life. So we passed on that one and we waited for the next one, which was shopping centers. Mm-hmm. So just because it's a good deal doesn't mean you ought to do it either. There are there are particular things to consider. And with Hotel Motel, the thing that we considered was how would we manage that? How would we build that infrastructure? And then the day-to-day management of you know, the night auditors and the desk clerks and the, the the housekeepers and so forth. I'm like, nah, I'd rather triple net leases in a shopping center. That's so much less management. I mean, we're talking like a, a scale of one to ten. Hotel motel is like at a seven or eight. And triple net shopping centers are at a two or three. So mm-hmm. that, there's a lot of things to consider other than just the return as well, because it's your life, it's your time. How mm-hmm. do you want to spend it? Mm-hmm. So it sounds like as you have gotten into these different asset classes, one of the things that has driven your decision is 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 the imbalance between buyers and sellers on the side of the buyers. There's there's there's. There's not enough. There's yes. not there's not enough buyers, and there's lots of people trying to get out of that yes. asset class for one reason or yeah. another. Um, but you're not you're not buying them just because they're cheap. You're buying them because they have high returns for you, and because you have decided that they fit in with the life you want to lead. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. Well put. Very well put. Okay. So, um, in theory, then you might go back to buying some of these things that you have gotten out of because the market moved away from you. You might go, you might go back and buy self storage. You might go back and buy apartment buildings at some point in time. You're, it sounds like you're pretty agnostic about what the property is as long as it produces the kinds of returns you like. That is correct. That is correct. The other, you know, here's another little known fact. Once you learn any commercial asset class, you know all commercial asset classes when it comes to the financial side because they are all calculated the exact same way. 
Mm-hmm. They're all calculated by operating income minus operating expenses equals net operating income or NOI. You divide the NOI into the purchase price, it gives you a cap rate. And that is just a simple, basic way all commercial real estate is valued. So, what, you know, I learned that with apartments when we moved into apartment complexes years back. But after that, I'm like, wait a minute, this is used in all asset classes other than single family. So it, it was really rather easy to look at P&Ls and analyze the math and just figure out what my maximum allowable offer would be on a particular property once I had learned that formula and got good with it because they're all the same. Mm-hmm. Now, each asset class has its own peculiarities. Trust me, apartments are not the same as self-storage, which is not the same as office. But outside of those peculiarities, when you look just strictly from a math standpoint, they're identical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I really liked what you said about I spend a year learning about that asset class because it's the peculiarities. Before I pull the trigger. Yeah, it's, it's, yes. the, it's the peculiarities that'll get you. Exactly. <laughs> it sure will. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But, but really, it's not that hard to start looking at offering memorandums, to start calling brokers, to start walking a property here and there. Um, you know, don't abuse one broker too much if you're not really a buyer, but uh, I've been known to go out and look at a property before I was ready to buy just to learn about it and and walk away from that with knowledge I didn't have when I got there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, yeah. that was my next question is, is, is where do you study it? Because I'm not seeing a bunch of gurus on YouTube offering to teach you how no. to buy shopping centers. <laughs> no, I don't know of any of those, but honestly, you don't need that. You really don't need that. If you understand the basic math that I went through earlier of how to calculate the return on a commercial asset, it, it transcends asset class. So where do I learn? I go to the public listing sites. I go to Crexy and Bravitas and LoopNet and CoStar and, you know, all of these public listing sites for commercial properties. And I, I put in my search criteria in each one of them. And when one pops up, it emails me and says, hey, there's another one that hits your, you know, your criteria. And I go in and I analyze it and I go through that offering memorandum. And I might even email the broker with additional questions. And I might sign a non-disclosure so they'll send me the rent roll and the property, uh, profit and loss statement and, and so forth. And that's how you learn is going through those deals. How do we learn single family? Walking properties, right? Mm-hmm. That's how you learn it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's no different with commercial. Well, and it, it also sounds like that as, as you are doing this learning process, you are relying on the expertise of people who deal with it every day, and you're also building a network. Absolutely. Absolutely. The network is key. Mm-hmm. Which, which, which is uh, equally good advice for people who are looking to do single-family homes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that's good advice for anybody in any business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us about, um, you, you, you've been doing shopping centers. Do those still have legs going into the future, do you think? Or are you, yes. you kind of eyeballing something else right now? No, actually, we're all in on shopping centers. We've only bought two. We've only closed on two. 
I think we'll have our third one under contract, um, I think, by the end of this week, actually. We've got one we've been doing the due diligence on, it, and we're real close in price. Um, so we're still on the beginning. We're still on the beginning edge of that. I think most generally, you have about two years to buy, anywhere from 18 months to 24 months. Um, when we bought apartment complexes, we bought for 22 months to be exact. Uh, but we bought one every 48 days for 22 months. Mm. Um, it's a very short buy window if you're buying at a, at a really deep discount, mm-hmm. which is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. So that buy window is usually only a year and a half to, to two years. Interesting. Any, any thoughts right now on what the next thing is likely to be? <laughs> well, I, I can tell you that I think, you know, Six months ago, if somebody heard me say this, they would have told me I was crazy because this particular asset class has been selling at a five to six cap for a couple of years. But I think there's going to be opportunity in apartment complexes. I don't know when it's going to show, but I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see. You were talking about there's no gurus for um, shopping centers out there. Well, there are a lot of gurus for apartments. And what they were teaching was not a full-cycle strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, what they were teaching, of many of them, not all, but many of them were teaching, if you can get it bought, buy it, go in, give it a fresh coat of paint and raise the rent, and you can sell it in a couple of years for more than you paid for it. And that worked. And that was accurate. For a number of years. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> worked for a number of years. <laughs> but it's just like when you're playing musical chairs, when the music stops, somebody doesn't have a seat to sit in. Mm-hmm. And I think many of the people, particularly the ones that have closed their purchases in the last two years, they're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, it may take another couple of years to actually see all that trouble bubble up to the surface. But um, certainly in the next three We'll start seeing that. And we're already starting to see some of it. Yeah. Um, you know, in the major markets, you're starting to hear about major foreclosures in, you know, some of these were just closed in the last 12 months or less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they're, they're not able to meet their covenants now because of interest rates and they bought with floating rates and so forth. And um, now the property won't 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 cash flow. Mm-hmm. It won't cover the debt. Yeah. So, and the the folks that I feel kind of bad for are not the ones who sold. They are the ones who got into these deals and the whole deal was the way we're going to get our money back is we're going to cash out refinance when we, when we raise the rents and the sponsor maybe is going to get all of his investment back, but he's going to retain, you know, 10%, 10% ownership of the property and the rest of y'all gets payback this high floating interest rate <laughs> loan yeah. and yeah. Uh, yeah the 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 folks who got into those things are um I think they're already I think they're already sweating because uh yeah every time an an interest rate uh increase comes along and we're, we're also starting to see stories that uh rents are actually dropping on apartments in yeah. some of the major cities because they've they've yeah. just built so much new stuff yep it's overbuilt in a lot of cities and that is driving rents down Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and if if we end up in recession, um, that will that will continue. 
mm-hmm. when you know I, I I had rentals back in 2008, and I remember having to lower my rents uh, in in Texas to be able to fill my houses. We didn't have apartments yet at that time, but 2008 and nine, we were lowering our rents just to fill our houses and compete with other landlords that were trying to fill theirs. So when 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 People have said over the last few years, all oh, rents could never go down. I just shake my head and say, well, <laughs> I, I, I know that not to be true because I've had to do it yes. uh, to survive. <laughs> and uh, that, that is just not true. But, 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 but you don't understand. You're old. There's a housing shortage now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <It> was... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've heard that all, haven't we? Oh, yes, we have. So, Tom, we're going to take one more quick break and then we're going to go to some questions that have come in from listeners. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking here at the front side of the year about the market, starting with just some just some experienced advice about what how to react when markets change, because next week we're going to talk about what's going on in the market. And I just didn't want y'all to freak out and go, I better shit out the market. Um, we're going to go to the phones and talk to Mike on, on line one in Louisville. Mike, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey, how are you, Vina? I'm great. How are you? Great. So I was just curious. Uh, you, you guys were talking about... Uh, uh, how how much things are changing in the apartment? Uh, how should we be thinking about underwriting apartments in the future? Underwriting. How should we think about underwriting? I think what you're asking, Mike, has to do with what Tom was saying about having a buy box. Yep. <laughs> so yep. So you know, it, I, I will quickly answer that question for you. I was just underwriting an apartment deal today for our lending company. And um, the appraisal was done about two months ago, and they used a 5.7% cap rate. And I cut that cap rate to 7%. I raised it to 7%. So I raised it exponentially based on what we're seeing and the changes that we're already seeing. And when I talked to the borrower, which, by the way, is a very experienced investor, he has over 3,200 doors, and, and he's like, no, nah, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree. By the time I get this thing done and, and sold, yeah, you're probably right. We'll probably be at a seven cap by then. So when you're looking at apartments or any asset that is currently falling uh, in favor or in price, you want to you wanna make sure that you raise that cap rate to where you think you will be. So in this case, I'm lending. It's a one-year note. It's a bridge loan. So I'm trying to set that cap rate at where I think it will be in a year. Now, there is a bit of guesswork to that, but as long as we're close, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so Mike, uh, that's a, that's a, for like a buy-sell deal, right? That's like, what am I, what am I thinking I might be able to sell it for? Don't go on today's cap rate if the, if you believe the asset value is dropping, but, uh, Tom, from your perspective, is like somebody might buy and hold it for a while. What, yeah. What, what 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 should we be looking at? What what should we be looking at? Well, if you're going to buy and hold for a while, that fluctuation isn't as important to you. But what I would say that you're going to want to look at is the delta 
between the cap rate and your leverage rate. Now, if you're buying with all cash, okay, there is no delta because you don't have any debt. I get that. And and then it's basically what do you want your return on your money to be? But most commercial most commercial real estate, actually most investment real estate, is bought with debt. It is bought with leverage, and I believe that's the right way to do it. But if I'm paying 7.5% for my money to buy this apartment deal, I certainly don't want to buy an apartment complex at a six cap. That's inverted, okay? <laughs> that's, that is not going to cash flow. Wrong that direction. is not going to make money. <laughs> that's, that's the wrong way. So I, I like a delta of 200 to 250 basis points, or 2 to 2.5% difference between my cost of my leverage and my cap rate. So if the cost of my money is going to be a 7%, then I, I want to buy at a minimum of 9 cap to 9.5 cap. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the goal I use. I love that. I wrote that down. That's so, and I, I know you don't have a crystal ball there, Tom, but, I, I mean, the the cap rate and the, the rates that you're talking about, it, it sounds like you're uh, expecting the rates to be going down in 24 Well. I, I, I expect cap rates to go up on particular commercial asset classes, apartments in particular that we've been talking about. Interest rates, I don't really, and I'm, I'm going to be the outlier here, I don't really think we're going to see a massive change in interest rates over this year. I think if we saw any change, we might see a half a point to three-quarters of a point and if we did see that, I don't think we're going to see the bulk of that until closer to the end of the year, particularly the fourth quarter. And if inflation entrenches, which I believe there is at least a 50% chance that it does, uh, we may not even see that much of a rate cut. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, thank you for your question, Mike. And thank you for your answer, Tom. Got another question here that came in online from Joan. Actually, there's a couple of questions that are kind of along the same lines. You've you've kind of gotten people who maybe haven't done commercial property before a little excited about commercial property, but you've also got them feeling a little down because Joan says... Um, commercial properties have always been interesting to me, but they're so expensive... If I'm just a normal person with a little bit of money and no expertise, is there any way to leverage my way into something that I normally wouldn't even consider? Oh, I love that question. Yes. Um, so first of all, my very first commercial property cost me $95,000. $95,000. It was a five-unit apartment. It was busted up and ugly. It was a distressed asset, just like we love in single-family homes. But it just was five units, and it went off so well. That same month, we went and bought another five-unit in a neighboring town, and and it went well. And we're like, wait a minute. This is easier than we thought. We were making this out to be harder than, than, it, than it really is. Mm-hmm. So my advice to her is start with a small one. Commercial, the word commercial scares most people because they think multi-million dollar, mm-hmm. right? Yep. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be at all. There are a lot of commercial assets out there that cost no more than their residential counterpart. 
Mm-hmm. So if, if, if comfort is the issue, start with one that you're comfortable with. Start with a smaller one. And then partner with somebody that does have experience. Or use a lender, a private lender in your area, or we'd love to do that as well, that does have experience and can help guide you through that process. So that would be my advice there. Mm-hmm. Don't let the word commercial scare you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you said that, I, 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 I had a memory that for a brief period of time, around a year, I actually owned an office building that only had seven offices in it. Because when you said office, when you said office building, my my brain went to the downtown, you know, right. fifty story, forty yeah, million dollar, yeah, scary, yeah. If 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 if, if you got a fifty percent vacancy rate, you're in big trouble. <laughs> kind of, yeah, no, kind of, kind of yeah. property. So, um, Joan, the advice is start small. Start yep. with a start with somebody who actually knows what they're doing, and I can't. I tr- second and third that even if you're putting in most of the money and they're taking half the profit the 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 lessons you get and the um mistakes you don't make because they don't let you <laughs> are yeah. experience are, are uh extremely valuable in that case and don't i mean just never think anything's out of your reach right just never never think well that's not for me because i haven't even wholesaled a property yet i know a lot of people who went straight to apartments or straight to commercial properties without even yep. ever owning a single family in the meantime yep. So, uh, Tom, unfortunately, we are out of time. I do really appreciate you being here and sharing your perspective with us. I think it's it's that was fun. It's really it's really refreshing to hear somebody say, "Hey, you know, the market can do what it's doing. I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that makes money." <laughs> so, uh, well, there's always something that makes money in real estate. That's the beauty of it. That's we very, can pivot in so many different directions. Very true. Thank you. You've been listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.